I'm Laurie Cardoza-Moore, and this is Focus on Israel. Thank you for joining me today on Focus on Israel. I'm Lori Cardoza-Moore, and like most Americans, I began to ask a lot of questions about what happened to our country following 9-11. As I read and talked to experts, the issues of radical Islam and the attacks on America and Israel became extremely personal to me. In response, I founded Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating and sharing the message of Christian biblical responsibility to the people and land of Israel against the rise of a new anti-Semitism. I believe that it is so very important that at this critical time in history, we must turn our focus on Israel. In the Middle East today, we're seeing a rising tide of Christian persecution. In Judea and Samaria, many Palestinian Christians are calling for a two-state solution which will ultimately mean the creation of another Islamic State. They cry apartheid and persecution by Israelis rather than Muslims, a claim that has been proven to be patently false and exaggerated beyond proportion. One fact not included is that the majority of the true Christians have fled these Palestinian-held areas and former Christian cities due to severe Islamic persecution. In 1950, Bethlehem's population was 75% Christian. Today, the figure is 12%. This scenario has been repeated all over the Middle East, where more than 2 million Christians have fled to the West as a result of Muslim persecution. We only need to look at what is happening today in the Islamic countries of Syria, Nigeria, Pakistan, Sudan, and Egypt, among others. Christians there experience extreme and horrific levels of persecution and apartheid that are truly shocking and often beyond our Western comprehension. As Obama, world leaders, and the UN sit idly by, it has been estimated that 100 million Christians are currently facing persecution and that approximately 100,000 Christians die for their faith each year. In Egypt, a Christian taxi driver was pulled from his cab, kicked, punched, and beaten to death before being beheaded. Coptic Christians are exposed to daily assaults by fundamentalists and extremists as their churches are burnt, their properties are damaged, and they're forced to leave their land and homes. In Syria, U.S.-backed Al-Qaeda rebels have carried out numerous atrocities. After occupying the Old Testament city of Sadad, 45 Christians, including women and children, were killed with several tortured to death. 14 churches, some ancient, were ransacked and destroyed. In Nigeria, 50 members of a church were burned to death in their pastor's house. The attack by the Islamic terrorist group Boko Haram was only the first in a 12-village spree. The horrendous abduction of 234 teenage schoolgirls from their dormitories by Boko Haram is chilling. 
Each passing day makes it more likely that the girls have been raped and possibly killed in captivity. In Pakistan, a pair of suicide bombers killed 81 people outside the 19th century All Saints Church in Peshawar in one of the deadliest attacks yet on the country's Christian minority. In Sudan, Miriam Ibrahim was condemned to die by hanging after she refused to renounce her Christianity and to profess she is a Muslim. Ibrahim was convicted of apostasy while she was eight months pregnant and held in prison with her 20-month-old son. Today, we'll hear the true story of one such horrific persecution that happened to a young woman from Pakistan. Julie Aftab was born to Christian parents in the Punjab province when she refused to recant her faith at her factory job. The terrifying consequences were nearly fatal. I'm from Pakistan and uh, I grew up in uh, Punjab province and uh, Faisalabad area. Uh, I born in a Christian home. My parents both were Christian. Um, my uh, my father was Catholic. My mother was Pentecostal, but I was in between. I was not treated as child should be treated by my own father. He wanted a son, and I was a daughter. But in in the Islamic world, they that's how it is. People were influent. Even some of the Christian, not all the Christian, not all the Christian are the same way, but some Christian do have influenced by those people that girls are not. Um, girls are cursed and this and that and they prefer son and um, growing up as uh, um, I was going to school then my dad was bus driver and he had an accident and uh, um, he uh, he was not able to work so helping my family as in the oldest of salmon it was my responsibility so I tried to help my family. I started working um, in a public call office on the 1st of uh, June, 2002. Then I started working. Even my boss told me I don't look like a Christian. I should change to Islam. And, you know, I'm really good at ignoring people. Those people, I don't like to argue because they frame you if you argue with them. They will say, you have insulted Islam, you did this, that. I put God first in my life. And my life is afterward. God is first. And um, so I just, I didn't, I never pay attention to those people. But on June 15th, I was wearing cross. I wore cross openly because for many people, it's just a symbol, piece of jewelry. For me, Every time I breathe, it reminds me that God has sent his son. When um, the man came in and he saw the cross around my neck and he said, Are you a Christian? I told him, Yes, sir, I am a Christian. And then again he asked me, Are you a Christian? And I told him, Yes, sir, I am a Christian. And third time when he asked me, Are you a Christian? And I told him, Yes, sir, I am a Christian. And so he told me right there, he said, um, you do not look like a Christian. And I just looked at him and I said, okay, whatever. I rolled my eyes and I uh, he I was operator, working as an operator in a public call office. And um, he told me, he said, you should change to Islam and you will, your life will be 
uh, way better and everybody will treat you like a queen. And I told him, I said, I am living life like a queen because I'm daughter of the king. And uh, when I told him, and I also I told him that, you know, I see a lot of queen beaten to death in y'all's houses every single day. I don't want to be that queen. And uh, so he told me, he said, um, you know, if you change to Islam, everybody will support you. Everybody, you work for so little money and everybody will help you and your family. And I told him, I said, God gave me two hands, two feet and perfectly healthy body. I can support myself. I can support my family. He put in money on the table and he said to take all their money and uh, change to Islam and we'll give you more money and uh, you will have everything. And I told him, I have everything. I don't need anything. And again, he told me, he said, I'm trying to save your soul. And I told him, my soul is saved. And he said, you're living life in the gutter. And you know, Christian people are going to go to hell. And I told him, I said, I know where I'm going. And I am fine where I am living. And then again, he said, you know, if you change to Islam, uh, and you, you know, you are living in darkness. And I'm trying to save your soul. And I told him, I believe I am living in light. And then he told me, he said, so you think Islam is in darkness? And I told him, you said so. I know I am in light. And uh, he put more money on the table and he said, take all this money and change to Islam. And I told him, I, I am fine who I am. And in Pakistan, many times they do, um, they will do something, especially to grow, they will do something bad to them. And then they have a no choice than just change, converting, to, uh, converting to Islam. So um, he tried to, uh, he, he got up and he tried to grab me and I pushed him and I sl uh, slapped him. I said, I'm grow, but I'm not weak. And I picked the money, uh, I picked it up the money and I threw it at his face and I told him, I'm not like other girl. And uh, when this man, uh, when I slapped him and he said, you know, I'm giving you last chance. I'm trying to save your soul. And I told him, you need to leave before you lose your last chance. And my soul is saved. And so he left. And before he was leaving, he said, I'll see if your Jesus will save you. He left and between 30 to 40 minutes later, he came back with the acid. In Pakistan, you can buy anything. Nobody going to stop you. Nobody going to tell you why you are buying. And it, they don't ask for a reason. If you have money, you can buy anything. And so he brought acid and he, when he brought acid, he just uh, opened the door and I was just sitting there and he threw it through like that and I just turned and this side was burned and I got up and I ran toward the door but that man was standing in front of the door and it was only one door so one man came behind the first man the second man came behind of him and he just held my hair down and he held me down and the first man tried to pour it into my throat 
they were saying that they're going to destroy the mosque that no to Islam. Later on, they were caught. Uh, so, and people asked them, why did you do it? And she, they said that she had insulted Islam. She had said Islam is in darkness. I didn't say that. He said so. He said that she said that Muslim people are going to hell. I didn't say that. He said about Christian people. He said that she said Christian is living uh, Muslim is living in darkness. I didn't say that. He said about Christian that. And that he said she have committed blasphemy. Police let them go, even police joined them. And also the people who took me to the hospital, they turned against me. Until then, my family arrived at the hospital and the, uh, they told the hospital that if you treated her, I, we will set the hospital on fire. And the hospital let me go. The, my family took me to the second hospital. Second hospital said the same thing. The third hospital said the same thing. And uh, third hospital, um, my uh, my mom begged the doctor. She she told him uh, he told her that she's gonna die anyway. There was point, and my mom said she's still breathing, and she begged them. She requested them that please help us, and somehow God God put in mercy in their heart. Somehow I don't know, and they said she's gonna die anyway. What's the point? My mom said, at least you can put IV or something. And all they did, put IV, and every morning they did honey. They put it honey, and they will take next morning, they will take the dressing out and pieces. It was more like a torture than treatment. They will intentionally, like, press on the wounds or do intentionally things. Even the doctor will never pay attention or ask. My mom used to ask, can you please give her pain medicine? Please, can you? And they will never write the pain medication or anything. They will intentionally do that. There was intention behind it. They were torturing me more. And uh, then um, then I uh, I was there for uh for 26 days or so, uh, 21 days later, I was pronounced dead, and God gave me life again for 15 minutes and 33 seconds, and God gave me life again, and after Muslim people heard about that, they was angry, they started coming with a gun, they wanted me to be dead, they said it will be insult to Islam if I lived, so my family took me to the other area, other uh, town and uh, they took me to the hospital over there because people were coming in the gun with the gun and wanting to kill me so my family took me to the other hospital and that's the hospital I was uh, uh, tortured I was fully awake when I had this surgery I did not have any pain medication I was fully awake we couldn't pay for the surgery because most of people set my house on fire and we didn't have any money to pay for uh, pay for my treatment or we didn't have anything. Nobody wanted to help. 
And in Pakistan, you have to pay before you get treatment. My mom and I was requesting the doctor if they can help us. And the doctor, that's, the, that's when the doctor said, if you change to Islam, I will pay for your treatment for the rest of the life from my pocket. I will pay for everything for you. I told them, my tongue belongs to my heart and my heart is belong to God. And if I say yes with my tongue, I lose my God. And he made them so mad. He told me, he said, you know, you, you think you are so strong. And why don't you have a surgery without any anesthesia? I'll see how long you will last. I know, knew that I'm going to die either or. If I survive from acid, these people are going to kill me anyway. But at least I will die doing what I love to do. Serve God and glorify His name. And I know that if I die, at least those people will say that her God was something. That's why she never left Him, but she lost her life. I had a surgery two days later, and the doctor, uh, you know how uh, they put green or blue or uh, white sheet between the pot, they're going to do the surgery and you. Uh, the nurse was going to put right here, and he did not let the nurse put that sheet. He said he wanted me to see it and see how long I will last. And uh, when he started surgery, he was doing skin graft afterward. Um, he took skin, started taking skin out of uh, my lower leg, and he was cutting skin, and the pain was so much that I couldn't take it. I started crying and screaming, and he told me, he said, you know, if you cry and scream, and I'm going to leave the surgery. And I needed the surgery because I did not want it to lose my arm. And I was laying there, and I was saying, God, please help me. Either take me, or my faith is so weak. I can't stand anymore. And I was praying, and I started saying, Jesus, cover me in your blood. Jesus, cover me in your blood. And when I was saying that, um, he then he was finished from here, and he came, and he started cutting, cleaning the infection. And the infection was so deep, it went almost to my bone. And he started cutting, and he cut from right here, I remember, right here, when he cut it, I felt like a splash of blood came all over me. I was asking, Jesus, cover me in your blood. And I believed that he had bought me with his blood. He had paid a price for me. And so I, um, believe it or not, I do not have any afterward. I felt so much comfort. I felt like it, I'm not alone. I felt hand over my head and I was laying there and I was my lips were moving there was no voices there was no begging there was no crying and I was holding my hand like that and my nail went through my skin but I did not felt any pain and the the doctor was not able to stand that the doctor was so mad the doctor couldn't bear the fact that I was not begging, I was not requesting, I was not crying to ask him. And he just left the surgery. And the nurse finished the rest of the surgery. 
and thus the same doctor two week uh, after, uh, same doctor who gave me poison instead of antibiotic after the surgery he gave me a poison then my family took me to the other hospital when they found out that she be, has been poisoned and they took me to the other hospital and law enforcement did not want to help me they was with them so we didn't have anybody to go to so they took me to the other hospital that's where they washed my stomach and everything two week later i woke up again and then i uh, then I, that's the hospital uh, god gave me eyes i was totally blind from both eye now i'm blind on the left eye but a uh, right eye but i i can see 100% from my left eye and that 67% because of they pour acid into my throat 67% of my esophagus is for damage the doctor said i will never be able to speak and this part of uh, you could see half of my esophagus is i did not have any cheek this is rebuilt and they reconstructed and uh, then um that's after that i moved to different part area and i hided for 6 month because i knew i knew that people were crazy they're going to get after me so um afterward it was about 6 month and we moved to different place my family and me and uh, i thought people have forgotten everything and plus it's a new area nobody know me and uh, i uh uh 2003 that's when i was shot bullet went through hair scratched hair went through hair scratched hair and i was they thought they have finished they they had killed me but you know god was not done i uh, survived that again so later on they found out no she's not dead yet and uh, then they uh they wanted to hang me by the blasphemy law and they um then christian bishop found out about me and he wanted to help me and he talked to some people in the shriner burn hospital in galveston texas and some people got involved from the united states they helped me to escape pakistan my family has been persecuted a lot and still they are been persecuted um I I they were like every time they like I know there is a thousands of people can see like a TV interview or radio or whatever and every time I speak here my family get pressure over there but I'm not going to stop I'm not going to stop because they that's what they wanted God got me out of all the death even i mean i people say i barely died nearly died but i did died and god gave me life and god gave me life for a reason i'm not going to stop that reason and if god wanted to whenever i'm done god i receive still i receive a lot of of the threats in the united states i receive a lot of the threats from muslim people and i told them you try to stop me if you can and i i stand up for um to speak i want i don't want people feel sorry for me because i'm not 
I'll do it a thousand times if I have to because I believe in God and living God. And if I stand up for him, he will stand up for me. I know that I don't need any more proofs because I have a lot of proofs. I'm twice cancer survivor. I I mean, what worse can get? And God had given me life for a reason, and I'm going to use it for that reason. And I'm not going to sit back and let those people tell the lie and ruin the life of the Christian or any humanity. I don't care. I don't have, I do not hate Muslim people. I hate the ideology they believe and their action when they follow Islam. I don't hate them as a people. I hate what they do. And in the United States is my home now. And I want it, I will do whatever it will take, whatever it will take to keep my country safe because I had lived hell of a life over there. I don't want to live it again. I don't want to live life like a Pakistan again. I don't want to Sharia law here. I don't want it to live where hijab. I don't want to do what Islamic way, anything. I live in the United States of America. I want to keep that. I want it to be free and say, I am a Christian. I can pray. I want it to pray in the public places. I want to keep God in the public places. The scale of atrocities carried out throughout Islamic countries is truly shocking, creating a horrifying climate of fear and insecurity for Christians. If the areas of Samaria and Judea are given over to Palestinian Arabs, how long before this climate would dominate the lives of Christians there? We must continue to pray for God's mercy on Christians under siege, and we must continue to stand against any land for peace agreements in Israel. Be a leader in your community and in your church one person can make a difference. Get involved and support pro-Israel organizations such as PJTN. Call your senators, congressmen, the White House. Let your elected leaders hear from you. Visit our website to learn more. Sign up to receive free newsletters, action alerts, daily blogs, and order our films to share with others. God bless you, and thank you for all you do on behalf of our Christian and Jewish brethren in the Middle East and Israel. We'll see you next time on Focus on Israel. To support this program, send your tax-deductible gift to Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, P.O. Box 682711, Franklin, Tennessee, 37068. You can also support PJTN online. Visit pjtn.org or call 1-877-873-9020. Anti-Semitism has reached epic proportions and Israel is now surrounded by nations who seek its destruction. For Israel to lose just one battle would mean losing everything. As Christians, it is our biblical responsibility to stand with our Jewish brethren and Israel. PJTN needs your help to reach more Christians with this urgent message. Please visit our website to become a member today and order our award-winning documentaries. You must decide that you won't be silent. Sign up now at pjtn.org. God bless you and thank you for your support and prayers.